Good morning. Today's sermon reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not more, much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. There are so many great sayings in that passage, aren't there? From time to time, new words enter the English language. For example, the word for the year in 2012 was hashtag. 2013, selfie. 2015 was this. Not even a word, but that was the most used form of communication in that year. 2020, can anyone guess? COVID was the word for the year. And 2021, can you guess? Vax. Uh, the language we use reflects the culture we're a part of. Uh, in the late 90s, a new word appeared that became the title of several books and uh, many journal and magazine articles and even a hit movie. And it captured the mood that had been growing for some time, affluenza. It's a combination of the words affluence and influenza. Here's a definition. It's the relentless pursuit of wealth and pleasure that has produced an epidemic of exhaustion, emptiness, disillusionment, and isolation. Australian writer Clive Hamilton said, In affluenza is the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. Sorry to the Joneses <laughs> that are here today. Uh, <laughs> 
We have an unsustainable addiction to economic growth. It's like a runaway train. And I think that's why the global financial crisis uh, hurt so much back in 2008. Um, or the interest rates, if you remember back to the early 80s. Advertising doesn't help us either, does it? We're all constantly bombarded by what we need but don't have. And we all feel the pain of comparison as we look around at others. Those things that were once luxuries are now considered necessities. I looked up some stats on advertising and various sources said the average city dweller sees about 2,200 advertisements a day. It's a lot, isn't it? Some quoted up to 5,000. We live in the wealthiest period of human history in one of the wealthiest countries on the planet, and yet we find ourselves caught in a contagious condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and ironically, wastage and clutter because of our dogged pursuit of more stuff. And the accumulation of stuff doesn't satisfy our thirsty souls. It doesn't provide the security we want. It doesn't provide the satisfaction we long for. And it doesn't give us meaning and purpose in life. Statistically, we're the richest and most disillusioned people in human history. What do we do about this? How do we change for the better? Where do we look for hope and guidance? How do we use and enjoy all that God's given us without turning it into some kind of idol in our hearts? Where do we find true satisfaction and contentment? What do we need to be thankful and grateful in life? Well, Jesus gives us real answers in this passage. So let's ask him for his help as we look at it. Let's just pray. Dear Father in heaven, help us listen to your word. Help us understand your word. Help us remember your word and help us obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, firstly, Jesus gives us a kingdom perspective. Let me ask you a question. How secure do you think heaven is? Do you reckon it's as secure as clothes in your cupboard? As secure as a surfboard locked in the car? Do you think it's as secure as your Facebook profile? Or as secure as a diversified investment portfolio? How secure do you think heaven is? When it comes to personal treasure, Jesus makes it clear there are only two storage options. He begins by reminding us what not to do. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's spot on, isn't he? Now, I've chucked out clothes with holes chewed by moths and silverfish. I've had a surfboard stolen from a locked car, had to replace the window as well. I've been hacked online and I've lost money in investments. Earthly treasure is simply not secure. It does not last. This world is not permanent. The things we possess in this world are not permanent. We are not permanent on this planet. So what's the alternate storage option? Verse 20. Store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Remember just back a few weeks ago, we looked at the Beatitudes. Can I remember the first and the last one that kind of framed the Beatitudes? 
They're all about the kingdom of God. See, the person who trusts in God and lives for God belongs to the kingdom of God. And that's where they're amassing their treasure. It's safe. It's secure. And it's there to be enjoyed for eternity. I wonder, perhaps we choose to store treasures on earth because we we don't really believe that the second option, treasures in heaven, is really true. Listen to how Jesus sums it up in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure is what really lights your fire, what you daydream about, what you passionately uh, long for and pursue, what do you absolutely love and live for and given half a chance you just talk the leg off a horse about. How do we know where our heart is? I find that one hard. What kind of, can we kind of use as a gauge? Well, Martin Luther famously said, there are three conversions in the Christian life. The head, the heart, and the wallet. Jesus is not against material possessions. He gives them to us and says they are to be received with thanksgiving and enjoyed in service of his kingdom. But to trust in them and to stockpile them, that is where a blessing from God becomes an idol that keeps us from God. Wealth is not a sin in and of itself, but it is a sin to trust our wealth for personal security, or to be arrogant about it, or to hoard it. And so often, that slippery slope into idolizing wealth, it begins with our eyes. Seeing, wanting, taking. Just like the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, many people have taken these verses kind of out of context and applied them only to things like lust and pornography. Now, it's certainly true of those things, and other Bible verses back that up, but Jesus' target here is much broader. I think what stands behind these verses is actually the Tenth Commandment. Who remembers that one? It says, do not covet. Do not covet. See, when we fix our eyes on wealth, and possessions of satisfying our hearts with all the delights and treasures that this world has to offer, instead of fixing our eyes on hearing and obeying Jesus. We plunge our lives into darkness. Paul said the same things in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that we just heard a moment ago. He said, coveting, greed, consumerism, materialism is epidemic and it's hurting us badly. Notice how Jesus has illustrated his message in this passage with opposites. Now we can store up treasure on earth or, or, or heaven. Our lives can be full of light or darkness. It depends on the input. Uh, now he presents us with two masters, God or money. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Nobody says there, 
Not you should not, or that would be pretty hard if you try to, or even you must not. There's no middle ground on this one. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible to serve God and be caught up in materialism. That doesn't mean that we won't have material possessions and enjoy them. They're a gift from God. But it does mean we cannot be living for the treasures of this world, finding our security and our significance and our value as a person from those things and still have God as our master. Now, this is not like being uh, you know, an employee with, with two different jobs. Um, you think, oh, I can, I can serve two masters. No worries. And Jesus uses the word master, which means we are slaves in this illustration, completely owned either by God or by money. Friends, which would you prefer? Money is a useful servant, but a terribly cruel master. It consumes and controls those who trust in it. That is why serving money is such darkness of the soul. Elizabeth Farrelly in her book, Blubberland, says this. I, like you, drive too much. I buy too much, of which I keep too much. And I also throw away too much. I overindulge my children and myself. I directly and indirectly use too much water, energy, air and space. My existence costs more to the planet than what it can afford. Now, she's not a Christian. She's just commenting on what she observes in her life and around her. But listen to how she continues. This is what's weird, though. I, like you, can't change. I cannot, I cannot abandon comfort, convenience and pleasure for the sake of abstract knowledge. I can't stop doing it. We think we're so rational and intelligent, and yet we behave individually and as a herd in such unintelligent ways. Sounds like slavery, doesn't it? Even though we can see the damage our past coveting has caused, and the danger if we continue to covet and lust for more, we just can't stop the train. Coveting, it seems, is out of control. Friends, the, the standard of living we enjoy today reveals two really interesting things. Number one, we live amongst the wealthiest people in human history. And secondly, we live among the wealthiest people in the world today. Uh, found this, another funny statistic. In Australia, though, only 1% of people think they are in the wealthiest top 20% of the population. That means 19% of the top 20% think they are in the bottom 80%. <laughs> Check this out. Oh, I got carried away with stats. Um, the individual net worth of Australian 1.29 million combined income investments, you know, everything you own, and you know, the whole lot, places you among the world's 1% richest people. That would be many of us here today. The top 1% of the richest people in the world. So how do we know if we are a slave to money, to wealth, to all of that? Top 1%. We're certainly in danger of it, aren't we? 
The answer is, what do we do with it? What do we do with that wealth? Well, based on what Jesus says, money is a heart issue that is like a litmus test of true faith. Like Luther said, we need to surrender our heart to Christ, surrender our head to Christ, surrender our wallet to Christ, so, so genuinely trust him with our well-being. Friends, we have the resources in the church today to release global ministry on a scale never seen before in human history. So let's prayerfully consider what we do with the, the money, the wealth, the riches, the resources that God has blessed us with. Because when God is our master, we view the needs and wants of life differently, a completely new perspective. It frees us from the grip of slavery to money and the anxiety that so often goes with it. Now if you're radically generous then, because you belong to Jesus' kingdom and focus on storing treasure in heaven and not on earth, you may wonder, even worry, where your clothing on the next meal will come from. And I know some people that have given so sacrificially that they've experienced this, wondering where their, their next very meal will come from. And so Jesus brings comfort to us. And he tells us, about his kingdom promise. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And in a moment we'll get to verse 33, which, where he says all these things will be given to you as well. Now on the surface it does sound a bit like Bobby McFerrin. Yeah, I'm, I'm from that, that age. Yeah, don't worry. Be happy. That's a cool song, wasn't it? You're going to just like groove along to that one. But, but what lies beneath that song is so different to what Jesus is saying here. Instead of not caring about life, because then you really can't be hurt by it, can you? God tells us to care deeply, to give generously, to trust that he will provide our needs as we do so, as we engage fully in all of the frailty of life in a fallen world. God has given us life. He's going to care for the needs of all who trust him. And then he illustrates it with what I think are quite comical comparisons. Think about sparrows for a moment. You know, they nest in our gutters, they clean up our decks after a party, they chirp in the trees. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? There's Jesus' point. God feeds the birds. Of course he's going to look after you. What about flowers? Now we've got a protea bush in the backyard. It's down to its last full bloom. It's been beautiful for a couple of months. Uh, we've got some roses in the front and a noisy uh, fire truck out the back there. <laughs> Just in case you didn't hear on the live stream. It was pretty loud. And... Um, and my favourite flower, which is the golden wattle, is just starting to bloom. as heaps of it over near Shell Cove. Uh, and we're not even in, near spring yet, but already just the abundance of flowers are reminding us everywhere that if that's how God clothes the grass and the shrubs of the field, just here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Friends, God cares for all of his creations. Magnificent, isn't it? 
but none, none more so than his children, those who belong to his kingdom. And then note the sting on the end of that verse. Oh, you of little faith, he says. What a rebuke. To this point, Jesus has been giving us reason after reason not to worry. Seven reasons, in fact, not to worry. But here he gives a direct warning. Worry is the adversary of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if we're going to seek security in the things uh, of this world, uh, that's fundamentally unchristian, or as Jesus says, pagan, verse 32. For the pagans run after all these other things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God feeds the birds. He clothes the grass with beautiful flowers. Of course, he's going to feed and clothe you. That's his kingdom promise. Now, some people kind of unhelpfully linked worry to working hard, you know, as though work is a sign that we don't trust God to just provide us. Or worse, God's promise here means that we can just like sit back and yeah, let God look after us, you know. Uh, that kind of idea is really unbiblical and unhelpful. Not worrying doesn't mean we can just be flippant and irresponsible. Um, as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, that if you don't work, you don't eat. Work itself is a good gift from God. As we work, we trust God to provide and then we have the joy of giving him thanks as he supplies what we need in life. He often does this for providing us personally as individuals or families with the very means to buy our own needs through employment. Uh, but he also uses the generosity of other Christians to provide our needs. And can I just say, those of us with plenty need to keep that in mind. Many, many times I've experienced and, and, and seen when uh, needs have been provided for by others in God's family. And it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Um, and we need to keep doing that. And I'll give a plug for our meal roster that we have, which supports those in particular need. So... Look out! I might put that in news this week, just to um. There's a can I say not the notes, but there are a, a very small few people who are fabulous in sharing their gift of making scrumptious food to bless people in great need. And I've been a recipient of that when my wife died a few years ago, and um, that was an extraordinary time um, of just. The body of Christ being a blessing to me personally, but I see it all around the place. Beautiful. Good on you. Galatians 6 verse 10 says this, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then Jesus finishes with three kingdom priorities. And this gets really quick. Verse 33 Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, all the needs of life, will be given to you as well. It's Jesus' promise, not to every human being, though, but to those who have God as their master. And there's two parts to the priorities that he gives us. Number one, 
his righteous, so his kingdom. They use all they have, all that God has given them, to build God's kingdom. That's the priority. And secondly, their lives are being transformed day by day by God's forgiveness and grace, replacing sin and guilt with the righteousness of Christ. Right living that comes from obeying Jesus. Two kingdom priorities. What's the third? It's there in the very last verse, verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. To say I meant to that one. <laughs> it's not a sin to look back and learn from the past, though we cannot change it. Nor is it a sin to consider and plan for the future, though we cannot control it. Here Jesus graciously tells us our focus is to be on today. Be emotionally, mentally present in this very moment. And consider, as we experience today, how can I best honour God? Know Him, love Him, serve Him as my Master and my Redeemer in this very moment.